Hey y'all, Eve's here. We're doubling up today with two events in history. On with the show. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was May 19th, 1930. Lorraine Vivian Hansberry was born at Provident Hospital in Chicago to Nanny Perry Hansberry and Carl Augustus Hansberry. Over the course of her life, Lorraine would write several plays, participate in political protests, and become the first Black playwright and youngest American to win a New York Drama Critics Circle Award. Lorraine was the youngest of four children. Her mother was a teacher and ward committee woman, and her father worked in real estate. Her uncle, William Leo Hansberry, was a professor of African history at Howard University. Lorraine went to kindergarten in Chicago's South Side, where she said, quote, the kids beat me up, and I think it was from that moment I became a rebel. As a child, Lorraine was around artists and activists like Paul Robeson, Walter White, Duke Ellington, Langston Hughes, and W.E.B. Du Bois, who visited her family. In 1938, the family bought a house on the south side of Chicago in an all-white neighborhood. The white residents there attempted to impose a restrictive covenant that barred the Hansberries from living there. But her family challenged Chicago's discriminatory real estate practices in a test case for integrated housing, and they emerged victorious in the 1940 U.S. Supreme Court decision in Hansberry v. Lee. Lorraine's father's activism and involvement with the NAACP had a huge impact on her activism, and her uncle's influence likely helped shape her views on the Black liberation movement. She graduated from Inglewood High School in Chicago in 1948 and then went to the University of Wisconsin for two years, where she worked to integrate her dorm. After that, she briefly attended the Art Institute of Chicago to study painting, but she wanted to pursue writing and theater. So after a summer of studying art at Roosevelt University, she moved to New York and began attending the New School for Social Research. While she was there, she wrote articles for the Young Progressives of America magazine and became a reporter for Paul Robeson's radical monthly magazine, Freedom. She covered the civil rights movement, other freedom movements around the world, and she was active in the fight for Black civil rights. By 1953, she was an editor at the magazine. But that same year, she resigned from her position at Freedom to further pursue playwriting and married Robert Nimeroff, a writer and graduate student at New York University. In 1957, Lorraine completed the manuscript for A Raisin in the Sun, a play about a Black family living in Southside Chicago in the 1950s. And in March 1959, the play opened on Broadway, making Hansberry the first Black woman to have a play produced on Broadway. The play ran for 530 performances and put actor Sidney Poitier in the spotlight. The play also got Hansberry national recognition, and she won the New York Drama Critics Circle Award for it. Lorraine was praised for the play's commentary on race and Black American culture. But when NBC commissioned her to write a TV drama about slavery for a commemoration of the Civil War, her resulting work, The Drinking Gourd, was deemed too controversial and discontinued. Hansberry also wrote other plays, including The Sign in Sidney Brewstein's Window and Le Blanc. 
and she continued her work in the civil rights movement, raising funds for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and writing the text for a SNCC photo book called The Movement, Documentary of a Struggle for Equality. Hansberry took part in a meeting with Attorney General Robert Kennedy to get him to help protect civil rights workers in the South. She also supported the American Lesbian Liberation Movement, writing about radical feminism, misogyny, and homophobia. In 1963, Hansberry was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. The next year, she divorced her husband. She died in 1965 at 34 years old. More than 600 people attended her funeral in Harlem that January. Lorraine was working on several projects that remained unfinished at the time of her death, including an epic opera about Toussaint L'Ouverture and an autobiographical novel called All the Dark and Beautiful Warriors. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any burning questions or comments to tell us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. See you same place, same time tomorrow. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast where I bring you a little nugget of history every day. The day was May 19, 1780. The sky in New England and parts of northern Canada turned unusually dark in an event remembered as the Dark Day. Several days before May 19th, people in New England noticed that the sky appeared smoky and the sun and the moon appeared red. On the morning of May 19th, the sky was cloudy and still had a reddish hue. Throughout the morning, the sky continued to get darker. By noon, people were using candles for light. The darkness stretched from the skies over Portland, Maine to the southern coast of New England. It was so unusual that many people panicked. Some people went to church, while others went to taverns. Birds reportedly suffocated from the smoke and ash. Some people noted that the air smelled like soot. The Connecticut legislature even moved to adjourn. Abraham Davenport, a member of the governor's council, opposed adjourning the legislature. He said that, quote, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause of an adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Harvard professor Samuel Williams collected observations about the darkness and wrote about the day's events. According to his account, the darkness continued until the middle of the next night. He said the following, Candles were lighted up in the houses. The birds, having sung their evening songs, disappeared and became silent. The fowls retired to roost. The cocks were crowing all around, as at break of day. Objects could not be distinguished, but at a very little distance, and everything bore the appearance and gloom of night. Williams reported that people saw a layer of scum on the surface of water that appeared to be the ashes of burnt leaves. From his observations, he determined the likely cause of the darkness. He suggested that fires had caused vapors to rise and collect in the air, since the weather had been clear, the air heavy, and the wind, quote, small and variable but many people dismissed the idea that wildfires caused the darkness. In the weeks after May 19th, people proposed different theories about the origins of the event. 
some thought that sunlight was being blocked by a huge mountain. Others believed that a biblical prophecy was being fulfilled. Later research suggested that distant forest fires caused the darkness. Researchers from the University of Missouri and U.S. Forest Service examined tree rings and fire scars and determined that a major fire occurred in 1780 in Algonquin Provincial Park in Ontario, Canada. They concluded that a low-pressure weather system carried smoke from the west or north to New England. The fires in the Algonquin Highlands were the most likely cause of New England's dark day, but fires burning in the eastern U.S. could have also contributed to the darkness. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you want to send us any kind notes or you have any other comments or suggestions, please send them to us at thisday@iheartmedia.com. You can also hit us up on social media. We're at T-D-I-H-C Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.